welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, episode 77, Rich. How was your weekend, buddy? It was good. Got a lot done. Did some uh, little chores around the house, helped the wife out, and uh, got to do a little coding. Sweet. Yeah, I didn't get to go coding. I did go and see Star Wars on Friday evening, which I was blown away from, and I won't do any spoilers, unlike some of our colleagues here that posted on Twitter about certain things, which I will, next time I see him, we'll probably push him in front of a car. Especially like when he was like, like just happened to be luckily right, you know? Yeah. He made it that much worse. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wasn't happy, but amazing film. J.J. Abrams deserves to be knighted by the Queen and by George Lucas himself, I think. Yeah. But it's now interesting kind of going and reading other people's opinions on the film because I like, I hid away from it. And it's amazing how people are so critical of it. And, you know, I was just a big kid in there. It was fun. I want to know some stats. Like, like what was the, like, average people out of the office in, like, the IT industry yeah. on Friday? <laughs> that would have been an interesting stat. And, you know, like, I was thinking, like, it'd be funny. Like, if there was ever a day to try to hack into an organization, it was last Friday. <laughs> like, seriously. It's true. And what's funny is you'd, be, you'd probably be hacking into a computer that's on a server named after a Star Wars character because it or seems like, like – a, Or a planet, Star Wars planet. 30% of like the servers that I go around to like seems like people pick weird like Star Wars names or something. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I must admit I was wearing my band and I, I keep meaning to check what my heart rate looked like as I was watching the film. I'm going to have to do that today at some point. But um, yeah, there was a lot of emotional – Men and women sitting in that theater going crazy at certain parts in that film. So it was, it was good. It was a great experience. Yeah, it certainly uh, it made the next one highly anticipated already. So Yeah, and they've booked out uh, the Microsoft Marketing Division, which is headed up by Chris Cap here, who's our corporate vice president. Today at 10 o'clock, which is in a little bit, there's a bunch of people. They booked out the cinema, Cinemarama? Cinemarama, I don't know how you pronounce it, in Seattle. And it's a big IMAX 3D, and basically they've booked it out for 500 people to go and watch the Star Wars film. But um, it's chucking it down with rain out there, and you have to walk to the bus port to get on the bus to get down there. So I'm just going to stay in the office today. First come, first serve? Uh, No, you reserve last week, yeah. So... Uh, but I think a lot of people are taking their kids and abusing the fact it's work time and you get to have the morning off to go watch Star Wars. Sounds good. I, I took my Friday morning off to watch Star Wars. So. Is, that, is that what you did? Yeah. See, I went until Friday evening. So, And it was insane. The amount of security at the movie theater in, lines to get into the IMAX was just out of, out of control. See, I really don't go to theaters much. So this And this was my, my first IMAX experience with the glasses and everything. Uh, did you right. see it 3D? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a few places that were pretty interesting but i was actually surprised there were some empty seats in the theater yeah and maybe it's because i went like midday no ours was packed midi this was above a fun say we've got to like, get there early we've got to get there before like kind of at least 30 minutes before because we won't get a seat and she's like no no you won't have to you won't have to i'm like it's star wars we will and we got there with 30 minutes before even you know the lights dimmed and everybody was in their seats. It was insane. Oh, did you not have assigned seats? Yeah, they don't do that here. They never did that in New York either. Is that a Texas thing? You get assigned seats? So I've never seen it before, ever. 
but they did it for this. And you could tell they don't do it normally because they had a little like paper taped to the end of every row to tell you what row it was. All right. But it made it to where, you know, if you pre-bought, you really didn't have to worry about getting there and like waiting in line. Like we just hung out in the, like an arcade, like until five minutes before the show and walked in. Wow. So, yeah. It's been, again, a busy week with everything other than Star Wars. Although I have noticed that the blogosphere is definitely quieting down. But um, I just pulled the latest stats for the um, for the podcast. And being at show 77, I think it would share, as this is actually going to come out on Christmas Eve, for those who celebrate it, it's... Pretty impressive numbers, Rich. I think this definitely makes it worthwhile continuing doing this. We've had 462,000 unique visitors um, since the show started. Now, what's interesting there is that it, it is IP address unique, so that's not unique human beings because I can go on my PC... I can go on my mobile and it's going to kind of roll over IP addresses. So that, that giant number probably is a bit skewed. But in terms of individual shows, that's way more accurate because, you know, you're, you're typically only going to download a show once and listen to it. And so with 32,000 listens, unique views, it was episode 47, which is actually the dev program episode that I did with you, uh, with Sonia, actually. I don't think you were on that show, um, where we talked about the newly announced developer program. Now, I have a sneaky suspicion that that podcast is linked somewhere in an email that gets sent to a person as they sign up for the, sh- the dev program. And that's maybe what's driving a lot of those um, those sign-ups. It's good numbers. It hasn't got a very exciting title. It just says episode 47 on the dev program. So that that one's an interesting one. What else is popular? What? Yeah, what, what would you say, what do you reckon would be the top show outside of that? You know, I'm, I'm going to go with my good old Texas friend, Eric Shups, God. just because... Because we have such a big SharePoint audience, yeah, a uh, lot of SharePoint developers out there, and, and Eric's been around, you know, about as long as SharePoint's been around. That's right. So that's my guess. Yep, you're right. It was episode nice. four, episode forty eight with fourteen thousand five hundred people that have pulled that down. And yeah, it is a really good show. And actually, it's a two part show. So episode 40, uh, 48 and 49, the first one was on kind of his opinions of SharePoint add-ins. And yeah, I mean, his blog has been around for a long, long time, much like Waldex and Chris O'Brien's and Andrew Connell's. Like Those people have been in the space for a long time. So they have got a, a big following in the community. Like if, if people are following 10 blogs, it's more than likely you would have hit one of those guys' blogs over your time Googling and binging for answers with SharePoint. So yeah, he he was the next one. And then it was Matthias Ening uh, from uh, Rencore about the SPCAF tool and kind of transitioning from SharePoint full trust farm solutions over to the Addy model. And then uh, Waldeck, on on his one it was episode 19 so these are these are quite old episodes now they've been around for a while and Wardek did one on that was on the office graph so that makes sense that that would be of interest and then the one prior to that was actually with me and Steve Walker talking about the UX developer guidance with SharePoint which I know is fairly controversial as well so yes it's interesting to see 
Eric's one, which, you know, has been around nearly 20 weeks less than the others there that are bunched up between Matthias, Wardek and Steve have so many uh, more vote share. So that's, that's really cool. Good stuff. So, okay, with that, what else has been going on this week? I know last week you was playing hooky and putting some stuff together, but I noticed you've blogged some stuff since. I did. You know, um, we went to the Angular Connect conference in London and, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Had lots of, uh, you know, people that we normally wouldn't necessarily see developing for Office, building some cool stuff. And I thought I'd return the favor. And I've been playing around with Angular 2 for a while. It, It had been kind of unstable. You know, I'd find myself, I'd pull in various script references and they'd conflict with each other and things like that. And, Finally, last week, it is, I guess one of our other announcements is Angular 2 uh, finally hit an official beta. So for, for the longest period, it had just been considered an alpha uh, framework, and it's an official beta now. So uh, that kind of gives you sight that if you're an Angular developer or really any web developer, I think, uh, you should probably give this a pretty con- you know, a, a serious look. Because there's some huge improvements just from a speed standpoint. Uh, you can leverage, well, you can leverage TypeScript today, but it's a little bit more supportive of things like TypeScript. And so what I did is is basically wrote a blog post and sample on GitHub and a video on YouTube showing you how to get started with Angular 2 um, and, and basically build an app that connects to the Microsoft Graph. And what... I, I know there were some things you were struggling with at first. What, were you, what was your feedback? Because I know you've done, you've done a fair amount with Angular 1. What things kind of tripped you up or did you feel like needed a little bit more clarity this early on? And it is a beta and it has been around for a while in a, in a preview state. But was there anything like lessons learned here? Is there fundamental massive changes? You know, it is pretty – it's a pretty massive change. I mean, it's a pretty big overhaul of Angular 1. You'll you'll see things, and what I try to do, if you watch the video I created, I try to make parallels between, okay, this is what you would have done in Angular 1. This is what you do in Angular 2. So everything from routing to the different, uh, you know, attribute directives you use, because all of those have changed. So things like ng-click and ng-repeat and, you know, all those things that you're used to using in Angular 1 are, are gone. And so the I would say the biggest thing is just getting familiar with what the new terminology is, and I'll give it to Google. They've done a really, really good job on Angular.io of documenting um, all everything. So that's part of it. The two other challenges that I ran into, the first one, the documentation ended up helping, but one of them was is they've actually split up Angular into more than more than one or two script files. So in the past, you had just the Angular script, and then if you wanted routing, that was one additional include that you used. Now, they've broken that up to be even more granular, um, which I think is good because it it makes it a little bit more lightweight, I think. Yeah. If you're not using one of these components, you obviously can exclude that. But what I found is, you know, I was trying to use things like the the HTTP module to make REST calls. And I kept getting weird errors. And finally, I went and looked at the documentation and they showed it as a completely separate component. And, you know, looking into the, the TypeScript and things like that, I was like, oh, it's a completely separate 
script I need to reference. Uh, okay. So that was one. And then the final one just is, you know, I'm still, I've done TypeScript on and off for about a year and a half now, I guess you could, you would say, but I'm not certainly as proficient at it as like an Andrew Connell, you know, that's kind of his choice when he does client-side development. And so as I was doing this and separating all my files you know, dealing with things like, well, you have to recompile TypeScript anytime you make a change. So just learning, you know, the right ways of doing things like, you know, running the TypeScript compiler in a watch mode. And they actually turned me on to a really nice little web server. I've been using uh, SuperStatic for doing just static web page server, like web server. They use this one um, in the Angular 2 documentation called Live Server. And what it does is it also listens for script changes on the on the server. Yeah. And it'll automatically refresh client side your page for you anytime. So it's almost like Plunker. If you've used Plunker before, uh, okay. it's an in-browser editor. Anytime you make a change to your script, it automatically refreshes your view. And that's what this does, but you're instead of it all being in a browser, you actually have, you know, your code sitting, uh, you know, behind the scenes in a, in a folder. So those were kind of the three things. But I, in general, I've really, really enjoyed Angular 2 thus far. Yeah, and that's going to be my thing in the next two weeks as the office is going to be very quiet is to get across that and start taking what you've done and build out an idea I've got for a, an, a web app that I'm going to start chunking together with, with Angular 2. Cool. So, um, I'm going to do, did you see the news about the, um, and I can see, remember from your Facebook feed, you have seen the news, where the guy accidentally announced the wrong winner for the... Um, Miss Universe. For Miss Universe last night, where he went to Columbia and then he realized his mistake and she'd already been crowned and was waving at the crowd and then walks back up on stage and goes, ah, yeah, congratulations, your first runner-up and the winner is... And I think it was Thailand or something. Philippines. Philippines, there you go. Well, I've done the same thing, and you know why? Because our logs show not only MP3s, but M4Vs, which is the videos. So the top, the episode 48 wasn't actually the MP3, it was the M4V. Now, can you remember what that video was from all that, way back then in 48? Oh, gosh. It was when I we were remember. doing all the Digby stuff with all the crazy... Um, iPhone apps with the videos and the high-pitched voices. Oh, was it from Dev Intersection in Arizona where we had uh, Mike Fitzmorris? So it was actually Sharps doing a okay. video, um, which we link in the show notes for episode 48. So that got 14,500 views. His podcast is at 7,500 right now. So Matthias is still reigning champ um, outside of the Dev Preview program sorry the dev program episode and then waldeck steve walker and roddy atasanov yeah we should continue with dev dev be apparently because that's what people are listening to and it sounds like the community really likes hearing eric shups talk like a munchkin yeah right like seriously this is this has to be a a new thing that we we, we keep going it sounds like so the next few guests we get on the show we're gonna have to just totally humiliate them and uh make them go through the experience. Now, I can play it quickly, just so that people who haven't listened to it, it's this. Be very, very quiet. We just did a podcast. And it really doesn't give the full effect without having to see how odd Shups looks with his giant cowboy hat on and his enormous 
cheeks and beard stretched out amongst him. So, um, yeah, that just shows you how sometimes you can get throw off by these, this business intelligence charting that um, John White has put together for me um, based on all the logs we get from the Azure store where we, we store all these MP3 files and obviously the MV4 files that are, or M4V files of the videos. But um, Doug Ware's up there too, actually, and so is the SP Techcom panel in terms of actual MP3 podcasts. So, um, yeah, I'll make sure we link off to all those, the top 10 uh, actual MP3s in terms of the hits. So that, that's pretty cool. Okay, and then the other big bit of news, which I thought was pretty cool, was uh, we've been working really closely with LCA on uh, some stuff they're working on, building on top of SharePoint, building on top of Office 365, and, and so forth. And they'd shipped something called the Matter Center, which is available to uh, Office 365 tenants if they choose to have it. And it was something that we've shown quite a few times in major events over the last two years, I guess. And people kept saying, you know, how can we get the Matter Center? How can we get it? And so in the last six months, we've actually made it available to customers but as of this week, uh, you can actually go into github.com and, and download the all the entirety of the source for Matter Center. And so, if you the, the scenario is is that each Matter that a, a, a legal representative looks after has its own SharePoint team site, and you can store all of your related files, the related conversations in email. There's a shared calendar. There's a bunch of other templates that are handled by content types. And then there's this notion of reporting that then gets rolled up to this main matter center dashboard. And then they have an Outlook add-in where as they're dealing with matters and conversations via email, that you can go and take like an attachment for an email and very easily add it to the matter in the matter center that's stored in Office 365. And this was built and it's used in production by the legal teams here in Microsoft because they deal with so many matters. Um, but now you can actually go and dig out and have a look at the, the actual source code for it all and, and see how that thing's running. So um, I think that's a pretty cool, like, real-world scenario that's f- totally fleshed out that you can go ahead and take a look at. So um, if you're a SharePoint dev, which I know a lot of you on the show are, I'd highly recommend checking that out to see how they built that provider hosted add-in and how they built the Outlook um, Office add-in as well. Yeah, for those that don't, I know Jeremy threw it out there, but if, if you're not familiar with the the acronym, LCA stands for Legal. What does LCA stand for? It's, I don't know. it's our legal organization. They've changed names now as well, though. Legal Counsel something. Yeah, but but ultimately it's it's all the you know the legal team at Microsoft, and it's you can probably imagine given all the patent things we deal with and, you know, disclosures and announcements and all those things. We have a massive legal team and they work on a, a massive amount of, of legal matters. And so I think it not only is it a cool scenario, I think it really speaks to the scale of, of what we can do with, with SharePoint extensibility in the cloud. So this is, you know, a really cool sample you can go check out. And like I said, it's, you know, it's actually used by you know, all our legal teams here. Yeah, and, and and the scale and the length that these team sites hang around for is pretty impressive too. So it does do, you know, a great job of kind of taking into account that scale of what data is being stored where and, and so forth. So it's, it's really neat from that side for sure. 
Okay, and then what else have you seen around the blogosphere this week, Rich? Well, Rob Windsor's been busy. You know, he's put together a really good outline of what's new for developers in SharePoint 2016. So for all you on-premises developers that um, are looking at the upgrade to SharePoint 2016 or trying to see what's available and, and there to offer for developers... He's done a really good job of, of aggregating a lot of that information in a couple of videos. So um, he's, he's got a, a couple of different videos that show um, what's there on YouTube. So definitely check that out if you're looking at you know what's, what's there for developers in SharePoint Server 2016. Yeah, and the nice thing is, is that he did one video and he come across a few roadblocks in actually deploying to SharePoint Server 2016. And Steve Curran had actually worked out, and I think he may have been working with um, the Visual Studio team building it when he was giving his feedback. And what was nice was is that Rob went back and recorded a new video and credited um, Steve Curran um, and also Andrew Connell because he was explaining about the fact that now batch commands for REST are available inside of SharePoint Server 2016, much like SharePoint Online. So that was really neat to kind of um, see that kind of community sharing and acknowledgement across the board as well. And, you know, that that's something that you see a lot of out of the people that have been in this space for for a long, long time. So that was good to kind of see Rob kind of put his hand up and go, yep, that, this is a, an amendment to the video I did the other day and, and here's the, the resolutions there. So big thanks for them to for sharing all that. And it kind of, it's good to see the community digging in so deep on the SharePoint server stuff already. Yep. And then... Um, in addition to that, the uh, Steve Peschker is um, the SamuelMan dot or dot WordPress dot com as he's rebranded himself or SamuelMan dot com. He used to be called Sharendipity, which is a nice play on SharePoint, and he's talked a little bit about the invalid client secret when publishing Azure AD secured applications. This is something that you've come across too, right? Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, you could tell the early adopters of building provider hosted apps a few years back, or maybe I don't remember when it was, but because everyone's client secrets would all kind of expire around a similar time, and and so this was this jumped up as a problem. Um, pretty, you know, with a big amount of people all at once. But, you know, when you go and generate a client secret, those are good for a specific amount of time. And so if you need to, you know, regenerate and uh, be able to republish with that new client secret, this kind of talks about how you might do that with like your publishing file inside of uh, Visual Studio. Yeah. And, it, and the way it kind of explains it and walks through is, you know, it, it's something that we, we're aware of and we've kind of Accommodated for in, our, in the MSDN articles now, we're kind of explaining that stuff, but it was just good to kind of see Steve kind of raising that awareness a bit more. Yep. And then lastly, Eli, Elio, sorry, Struth has been writing up about um, things to know when creating subscriptions via the Microsoft Graph um, and just highlighting that some things around having to use HTTPS to, to make the calls and uh, the notification URLs with uh, webhooks and so forth with mail calendar contacts that you can do. And again, he, he links off to um, Simon Yeager's post actually on the, the, we mentioned on the podcast recently around the callbacks with Outlook notifications using the REST API as well. So that, that's, I hasn't something I've played with actually is the notifications. Have you done anything with the notifications yet, Rich? Yeah, I did a little bit. You know, it was funny at the MVP summit, which is an internal conference that's done at Microsoft for all the MVPs. Yina, 
when she did her Microsoft Graph talk, she used kind of a little utility to demonstrate webhooks because so these are they're called a couple of different things some people call them webhooks some people call them notifications but ultimately you subscribe to something saying hey when anything's in my inbox i want to be notified of it and you provide an endpoint it's a lot like remote event receivers in the provider hosted app model it's almost identical to that except for in this case you provide a restful endpoint and uh what was i thought was really cool was all of the MVPs in the room and you were there were like amazed at how fast it was. Like all, yeah. everyone was like, Oh my gosh, I had no clue it was that fast. So I thought it was really cool. And I've, I've basically done a little playing around similar to, you know, what that utility did. Yeah. And, and, and um, I think the, what's really nice with all that stuff is that it adds a whole bunch of scenarios to not just be about a presentation layer on a mobile application or on a web application and just calling and creating files or deleting files. But it's also about these business scenarios where I want to trigger based on certain things happening inside our service. And, you know, there's definitely some things we need to unlock in terms of notifications around other objects within within the graph. Like, for instance, now the tasks API that's in preview um, currently doesn't support webhooks, so, but it will do, uh, you know, sh- shortly. It's something that now, because we have this notion of notifications in preview on the graph, it's very easy for other object entities that are living on it to now start incorporating it. And so that's really where the delays have been incurred is essentially where you don't have a type of eventing framework on the graph or versioning on the graph in the way that the underlying endpoint, in this case it was Exchange, already had. And because the graph is basically a proxy back to all those services that are living and we're trying to abstract that away from the developers needing to know that. And so there will be a few things that will appear on endpoints first before they make it into the graph. And there's some scenarios right now, for instance, with the one OneDrive API where um, you can't get you can't do large file uploads on the Microsoft Graph. You can you have to go to the direct OneDrive endpoint to do that because the Graph proxy hasn't got that schema set up configured yet. But once it has, then it just loops back in and calls proxies the call back to the, the direct OneDrive endpoint. Now, the benefit of the Graph over using the direct endpoints for people that maybe didn't play with the direct endpoints with the discovery services, you only need to get one token and then you can use that against all of our services. Whereas if you the direct endpoints every time you go to like OneDrive and then you want to go to Exchange and then you want to go over to Tasks, you would need to get brand new tokens. So the graph does simplify the flow once you're using more than one service. Um, and over time, we will kind of that everything that's available on the direct endpoint will be available on the Microsoft Graph, but it's just a journey we're on right now that um, with, with that di- differentiation. And um, I'm actually working with the documentation teams right now um, to encourage them to make that clear on when you have to use the direct endpoint if that particular function isn't available in the uh, Microsoft Graph endpoint itself. Yep. And then one last one, there, I did see, and I haven't had a chance to review this, but there is a guy, Io Zag, who I'm going to jump to his profile to see if he's got his name. No, he hasn't, but he's from Switzerland. Um, and he's put together build tasks for SharePoint add-ins and solutions with Team Foundation Build 2015. And this is something I know Chris O'Brien did a, a bunch of work with, um, but he's now got these packages for SharePoint add-ins that will kind of uh, do the all the configuration and, and, and so forth of actually building out those packages and pushing them through. 
So if you are using Team Foundation Build 2015, I'd highly recommend checking out that GitHub project to kind of get that going as well. So um, this is coming out Christmas Eve. So um, in, have happy holidays, everybody. Uh, we will be back at the end of um, December on the on the thirty first on New Year's Eve with yet another show. But um, I, I it sounds like the news of Rob Howard coming and joining our team as our fearless leader. Uh, went across really well this week on Twitter and social. He is up to 135 followers from 80 followers based on the podcast, which I thought was quite funny. Nice. So we are making him friends. And um, yeah, have a great time and enjoy your time off, Rich. Try and um, put down that keyboard and, and stop coding to give us all a chance to catch up. Yeah, likewise. And, and if people are uh, looking for something to do over the holidays, one thing I'll, I'll we've plugged it before, I'll plug it again, is the hack productivity. So next year, we're doing this big hackathon again that has over $30,000 in cash prizes. So just go to msoffice365 at devpost, or .devpost.com and build something over the holidays, man. Enter it in and win some cool cash. We'd love for one of our listeners to be be one of the winners. So um, definitely consider that. Yeah, that's. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what people are submitting there as well. And I know there's a bunch of technical questions being asked and, and so forth, and we're kind of escalating those too. So it's a great way of learning about how to build with the uh, APIs and, and add-ins as well. So um, definitely something to keep you occupied over the Christmas period for sure. And 30 grand, that's a lot of prizes to hand out. Yep. Cool. All right, well, have a good rest of your week, Rich, and enjoy your holidays with uh, your family, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Sounds good. You too. And now a quick word from our sponsor. With the new Developer Seat Plus, teams can be comfortable that developers will be extremely thorough in their testing their code before committing it to the repo. The seat is ergonomically designed to provide the optimal comfort level for the developer whilst he is in the coding zone. The seat is IoT enabled and connects to the build server hosted in the cloud. If the developer's commit breaks the build, 240 volts of electricity is applied to the chair for a series of seconds that scales depending on how many unit tests they broke. So if you're a dev team manager, what are you waiting for? Go to our store now and search for the Developer Seat Plus. Okay, so I'm in building 35 today with Umberto Lazima, and um, we're going to talk to you a lot about adding commands within the Office client. So um, thank you for coming on the show. Now, thank you for inviting me. It's good to get more and more PMs on to really talk about what they're working on because... You know, there's no one who knows these features better than the people writing specs and working uh-huh. with the developers actually shipping it into the product. Yep. So I appreciate you uh, we doing? carving that out. So just before we kind of jump in talking about adding commands, um, quick background on yourself. How long have you been at Microsoft? Things publicly that they would have know that you've worked on over your period yeah. here? Yeah, so I've been at Microsoft for about eight years now, I think. I started on the CRM team. I ship all the, what they call their solutions infrastructure. It's kind of like applications, but for CRM, for yeah. the uh, CRM platform. So I work a lot, a lot of time there. And then I moved to SharePoint for a couple of years, and I work on uh, SharePoint add-ins. That's the name that we currently it used to be SharePoint apps, and now it's SharePoint add-ins. So I work on that. And I've been working on Office add-ins for the past three years or so. Right. So, yeah. And um, in terms of the Office add-in space, like I know we've got different teams in different buildings. So 35 is kind of like Word, Excel, PowerPoint. Yep. 32 is the Outlook guys. And right. And the project guys and the Access guys. Right. They, we also have folks on building um, 33, I believe. 36, that's where a lot of the 
what we call core teams, like works out power actually seat. Yeah. And in this in this building 35, that's where the extensibility team, which is my team, sits. And as you mentioned, we're responsible for Workzilla and PowerPoint, but we're also responsible for what we call the, the core of the adding platform. So right. all of the shared components, that's one my team. So like Outlook engineering would reuse a lot of the core stuff yeah. that you guys yeah. use so, when you're extending Word, PowerPoint, Excel. Right. So, so when, we, when we build this feature that we're going to talk about, when we build adding commands, I think it's hard to say a percentage, but like uh, like seventy percent of the engine behind all the stuff that Outlook is doing that was built by our team here in yeah. thirty five. And it's the same notion with Office JS. Like V one was quite generic in terms of it catered for all of the the, the hosts or the client. Right, right. right. The same all <laughs> the APIs. Every time it, it's it's great and sometimes not so great to be frank because. Uh, we work with so many different teams yeah. to make sure that things are common and that we have a great experience across the board. Sometimes that takes a bit more consensus to get going, right? Yeah. We have opinions from a lot of different folks. Uh, but at the end, I think that we like it because we end up with this consistency across all the different different uh, office clients and hosts and servers. And so the, the, this notion of an adding command, um, that really takes Office JS from a 1.0 version to a 1.1 version of the the manifest schema per se. And yeah, well, the, the manifest that we use uh, for commands, so we actually reuse the task pane manifest. Yeah. So exactly the same task pane manifest that folks are using today, which is uh, the 1.1 version. So the latest one, we actually extended that using what we call version overrides. So yeah. we essentially added a node at the end of the task pane manifest, where now you can go and declare uh, what we call internally adding commands, which essentially translate to extensions to the Office clients in various different places. Right. More prominently, you can with commands, you can extend the Office ribbon. So add your own buttons on the ribbon on either existing tabs, or you can also create your custom tab. But you can also extend places like, for example, the contextual menu. So whenever you select text and right-click on a selection, you're also going to be able to have your own commands, your own entry into those menus right. using adding commands. And the reason we call them version overrides is this notion of um, I've got Office that is on my iPad now and on my Android, and maybe I'm in the browser version of Office with Word Online, or I'm in the Windows version or the Mac version. The idea of the version overrides is to dictate, like, I want this to run and only run within these particular versions on these. It, ha- it, has, it has to do with that. The, the main reason why we're using version overrides is because there are a lot of, of clients, particularly Office 2013, that already understand certain portions of the manifest, right? And we, and we don't want to break that. Yeah. And we want to make sure that just those keeps, that keeps working seamlessly. Yeah. So what we do is that instead of changing those core parts of the manifest, we add on to it using this notion of version overrides. Yeah. And then with the inversion overrides, one of the things that you're going to notice on the on the, on the the samples for commands is that we have this notion of hosts. And you can have different, not only different hosts, like, so like, hey, I want to have like this button for Excel and this button for PowerPoint and maybe a completely different button for um, for Word. So you have this notion of hosts. Yeah. But then you also have this notion of what we call form factor. This is actually a specific element on the manifest. Yeah. So you say like, oh, okay. So for Word, for the for the desktop uh, form factor, this is what my commands. Uh, this is the commands that I want to have. Yeah. But then if you want to adapt that for like the tablet form factor, for example, or when when Office is running on an on an iPad, then you can have a different set of of commands for that version. So it's uh, optimized for that version of, of Office and that version of your adding. Right. Now, we strongly recommend to have consistency across. We don't want to suddenly folks that are using your adding, for example, in the desktop version of, of Office, if they go to the iPad, 
the audience should be radically different. Like, right. oh my God, the button is completely different and the function is completely different. We, we don't want that. Yeah. Technically, it could happen if you have completely different buttons. It might be just like scale down. Subset. Right, it might be like scale down. It's yeah. like you just optimize for the most common use cases for a given form factor. Yeah, yeah. So we will give you that flexibility, but with flexibility comes responsibility. So we, we, we rely on developers to do to do the right thing uh, to make sure that they have consistency across ones. So right now, if I'm using Outlook 2016 or Office 2016, and I'm I'm, I'm inside Outlook, mm-hmm. there there are already support for adding commands that we yep. announced to connect. Yep. Um, so what what are some of the scenarios there, just to kind of get context, something they could go away and play with now, some examples from right. the store. And so so the the commands for Outlook are not only well announced, but they're already shipped, so they are officially in, in general availability yeah. uh, today. Yeah. So folks can go to dev.outlook.com, and that's where we have all the information about adding commands for Outlook. But they are mostly used for both for com- what we call compose and for read scenarios. So whenever you're reading your email and you want to like a quick reply or you want to see uh, related information, for example, we're working with uh, various different partners that are adding, adding, adding their commands into the ribbon, for example, to using like CRM systems on the back end yeah. to read relate, related information. So you have like, hey, viewing CRM button right right on the ribbon. To, you can click it and view information about where this email is related to information in your CRM system, for example. Yeah. So you can use it for that. You can also do it, use it for composers. Now, so if you're composing an email, for example, I actually created this this. But I think it's a cool item, um, sample for Outlook, which is called Emoji. So that if you want to uh, add emojis to your to your email, you can instead of having to go and first like launch the adding and then search inside the adding, you can just have buttons directly on the ribbon that says like, "Hey, insert an emoji." Right. And then it just it can do it automatically by parsing the the text on your email and just translating that text to emojis. Or you can select from your favorite emojis. I mean, you like. Uh, all those those composers and I stand in reach your email commands are a great example to and do that. It doesn't have to be a button that lives on the ribbon. You can click the button and have a drop down menu of other Correct. options, right? Correct. So, so you can menus. have we support uh, two main tabs of control right now. So we have uh, buttons on the ribbon. So you, yeah. these are simple normal buttons that uh, can trigger functions. I, I'll talk about the the actions uh, in, in a minute. So so we have simple buttons and we we also have drop downs. Yeah. So you can click the button and it's a drop down. And then from there, you can have a series of different options. And, inside, inside and the how do they specify where they want that to land on that ribbon? Like, can it be in a, mm-hmm. a, a ribbon, a specific ribbon group, or can it only be on the, the first ribbon group that shows up when you... Right, so the... this is uh, slightly different for different hosts. In the case of Outlook, you can specify it to leave it on the default. Yeah. Uh, and if you use the default Outlook figure out what is the right default for you because Oracle has actually a lot of different ribbons. Yeah. So we want to make it really simple for developers. So you say the default uh, is going to appear by default in what we call the inspector. So whenever you're trashing or you're even in Outlook, it's going to appear in that that very first tab, in the home tab in Outlook. Yeah. That's where commands appear. If you are composing an email, it will appear in the message tab, which is the main tab when you're composing an, an email in Outlook. So it's, they're always front and center. But you can also choose to create your own custom tab. In the case of Outlook, so if you if you need a lot more real estate because you have like lots of different of button, buttons, like a bunch yeah. of different buttons, then you can create your own custom tab and you can name name it whatever you want. So that's in the case of Outlook, and in the case of Workcell and PowerPoint, I think we have even a bit more flexibility. You can add a custom group to any of the existing top level tabs. So in the case of Word, for example, you can add it to to the Home tab. You can add it to the insert tab. You can add it to the review tab. Any of the main tabs that appear in, in, in the office clients, yeah. you can add a group with your buttons inside one of those tabs. Yeah. Or you can also create uh, your custom tab with right, your custom right. buttons. So there's really a lot of flexibility. And also we are 
uh, we actually had a lot of internal debates on the team about like, oh, should we allow developers to place their buttons like anywhere or like even the home tab, right? We had a lot of debates back and forth between should we do that or not? And we concluded like it's really, we really want to give flexibility the, 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 the flexibility and the power to do the right thing yeah. and um, allow users to, to decide where or not that in it's actually valuable or not. Because yeah. I mean, it could really, because we're allowing you to, to place your commands on the home tab if users install a lot of different addings, yeah, it could, it could really, it could get it really crowded really quick, yeah, right. But it, that can also lead to like if the user doesn't find your adding to be valuable, that we're also making it really very easy for them to just remove addings. Can, can the user re- reorder the but, the the ribbon buttons? Uh, so that's 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 one of our goals for the uh, GA release. Okay. Right now, right now, that's not possible. It'll that's just we, add them. In one of it one will one. add them at the at the very end. Yeah. We don't want to allow users to be able to reorder the ribbon just like they can do with any of the out of the box groups. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we might not get to it, but we're we're striving to get to that. Okay. It is definitely on the road. So I mean, what what was the? I mean, like everything you do with a spec, mm-hmm. there's a, a business reason that this stuff gets funded by your right. engineering group and pushed through. What? In your opinion, the main reasons that this stuff got funded over some of the other initiatives that I know are, mm-hmm. are on the backlog. Right. So I think that the main reason is that I want to make sure that add-ins were uh, very efficient to use, that they really provide really powerful capabilities so that users feel, uh, they felt that it's, it's natural to use add-ins as part of Office. Uh, all of the feedback that we actually received today with our current implementation of add-ins uh, is that it was not super efficient. Right, so users have to go to the insert tab and then select a particular adding. Right. And that works with that. That's like there are several clicks. And for some addings, uh, it might not be the most natural place for them to be. Yeah. Uh, so we actually get received a lot. It was one of the, I think it was the uh, one in, in our top 10 user voice requests. Yeah. And it was feedback that we just got from developers all the time. Like, hey, I need to be able to create my own buttons. Yeah. And that was because, you know, in the, the VSTO com adding model, that was something you could do. Yes. And so where there was partners that were already using that way of extending, which restricted you just to Windows Office. Right. And not the other clients on Correct. different platforms. It was one of the big gaps for a, right. of a better well, word yes. between the adding model and that com adding. Right, um, so n- now we are bringing that to this new web adding model. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned com adding because actually one of the first reactions that people get like, oh, you're just making, you're just getting parity to, to com addings. Yeah, yeah. To some extent that's, that's true, but uh, the way we're approaching this from uh, how we're building this feature, we're bringing the functionality, but without all of the pains that uh, there were actually deployment blockers for commands right. in the past. For example, when you install a commanding, the more commands you install, the slower Office gets, right? Because yeah. all those items get loaded at, at the, at the boot time. You can actually see like, oh, loading, loading, loading. And yeah, customers just want to get to their documents as fast as possible, right? So yeah. with this new model, actually, you, you actually notice that we're not slowing down at all. Right, it kind of lazy loads. It lazy right? loads, yeah. it doesn't block, it's, it's asynchronous. And then when it, things are ready, we actually guide users and we let them look, hey, your items are ready, and then things just, just appear on the yeah. UI. And from a deployment side, like much like an Office web add-in is anyway, mm-hmm. you can go and acquire it from the store, yep. and then it you know, comes into your own My Add-ins yep. settings, or it can be deployed through the add-in catalog inside of Office 365 or, yep. um, or on-prem as well in, in SharePoint Server, you have that booted up as well. Right. So, well, right now, they, we're focusing on, um, in terms of catalogs that we're going to support for the initial release, 
So you can deploy it uh, for development purposes, which is what it's currently available on the preview. You can sell it via a network share. So right. you can just set up a network share, you just put them there, and they're going to load. So that's the main deployment mechanism. Yeah, for you the just do the trusted adding catalog Correct. and points that network share and every network manifest share, you put in there, it reads just loads. It's just going to, it's going to load yeah. there. So that's one catalog that we're going to support. Then the other one is uh, that you mentioned is the store. That yeah. one is not yet available on the preview, but it will definitely be, be there when we when we GA the feature. Um, so anybody that goes to, any user that goes to the store and acquires an adding, automatically the prototype is going to appear. Right. And they will remain on the ribbon. So the next time, if they close the, the word, for example, if they were to put up word the next time, the, the adding will remain there. So the prototype right. will remain there. So they don't have to go and reacquire the adding. So that's an our catalog. And the third one, which is also the one that we think is super important, it's, um, it's actually a new catalog, and we should actually probably have a podcast about that um, uh, because we're actually having a, a new, we're working on a new version of our, of our corporate catalog. Yeah. It's going to make it like super easy for admins to, that have 365 or 365 to just go and select a bunch of add-ins, uh, assign them to individuals, to groups, yeah. or to complete organizations. And that's all they have to do. And then the next time users boot up with their credentials on the office clients, they just see it. Boop, they just boot. And because it, it's a little bit hidden, like I always, you know, go into the admin console, Office Three Six Five, and then you have to go into SharePoint, mm-hmm. and then you have to click on apps. Yeah, and no, this is, this is a new catalog. version of that. And it's yeah. going to be elevated. Okay. Uh, it's going to have much more visibility. Yeah. It's going to be easier to deploy. So yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think the the beauty of this is is that it's right now, even if you did deploy it through the adding catalog. Um, it's not obvious to the user that add-in is now available. We don't notify right. them. Whereas if they see a ribbon button for like, oh, wow, Evernote, what's right. that in Outlook now? That's cool. Click on that and the task right. pane activates right. and so forth. So right. the, the exposure to the end user is a lot better and that was definitely a bit of feedback. Right. We and I think that we're tackling that in two fronts. One, as you mentioned, is that uh, the button appears on the ribbon. So that, yeah. that by itself gives them more visibility and it's kind of like a reminder, right, that things are there. So you definitely encourage uh, usage. But then the other thing that we're also working on is that we want to have this, we're calling this getting started experience. Yeah. So the very first time an adding gets deployed, uh, this might come a little bit after we GA the feature, but it's definitely in a roadmap. So that after the adding gets deployed, you're actually going to get a reminder on the status bar like the adding is loaded and a really nice call out that is going to be anchored where the adding was added. No, so if okay. you're adding actually create a new tab, there's going to be this call that appears and tells users, hey, there's a new adding here and actually points to the tab right. that created the That's adding. That's really neat. So that you are teaching them essentially that they have new new features available and how to start using them. And, and so what, you know, we've talked about actions. So we've got those buttons there. They're now on the ribbon or mm-hmm. in that context menu yep. when I right click. Yep. What kinds of scenarios can we do with those actions where they do actually click right. on those buttons or that menu item? Right. So they can, uh, we support two main actions, actually three, but I, I'll, I'll explain why, why it's going to be three. Um, so the first one is going to be, uh, it's called show task pane, yeah. so, which is equivalent to what we have today uh, for any, which is you click on a button and then you can show a task pane. The, the additional benefit that you're going to have now is that we, you can actually have multiple task pins, which is something that we did not support in the past. Right. So now you can have multiple buttons, and those task pins can actually be running side by side. Yeah. So you have a scenario that's relatively common is that you can use one task pin for using like navigation within your, your area and within the document. Yeah. And then another task pin to actually transform the content on the document. So yeah. That's, that's, uh, we actually common. had Martin Seifert from Office at yep. Work on uh, last yep. week. And that was their apps very compelling with the, the having the task panel on the left, which is kind of like your yep. 
adding your content controls onto the page, and then a right. task pane on the right was then manipulating those content exactly. controls with your exactly. live data sources and kind of working yeah. that document. Exactly. So now we're going to support, we support now multiple task panes. So that's one of the actions that we support. One thing to highlight is that even though they are different task panes, they do share the same APIs and the same context. So if one task pane wants to save a, a, a global setting on the document, the other task pane can read it. So they're, they're, you can use that to actually communicate between the two. So oh, they are nice. not isolated things. So, so you can, can drop actually... something into the context and then the other task pane can read that context. Right, with right. It. so you can save a setting, let's say like, hey, background color, I know, blue. Then the other task pane can actually read that. Right. And make sure that uh, so they can communicate using settings and bindings. And then, uh, so that's that's one action show task pane. And then the other action that is actually pretty cool is that we have this execute function so that if all you want to do is like really quick actions that transform the document, for example, a really good scenario is you select a bunch of text on the document and then I click a button that says like format yeah. or like generate tag cloud, for example, right? right? Or like uh, check spelling, for example. Yeah. Uh, I can just click a button and without having to prompt the user first, you can just go and right away execute code behind the scenes right. with JavaScript code using Office.js and just transform the document. And so uh, what, right in your, the way you define that in the manifest is essentially you put the function name in the JavaScript. Exactly. And then it looks in that JavaScript file for that function. That's what it executes exactly. So you explain like your action is execute function. And then you, as you mentioned, you specify a function name. Yeah. And then in your file, quote unquote, code behind, which is essentially an HTML page. Yeah. Then we just look for a function with that name. And then we, we call you and we also pass you this uh, event that you know that uh, you know things like the the idea of the bottom, for example. With that context that you pass through, they can do everything they want against the Office.js API from within that function, right? Right. So you can call Office.js to manipulate the document. Yeah. And what that context gives you in addition to what you can do already, it gives you the ID of the button that was clicked. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so for example, it's very we foresee that it's gonna be very common to have patterns in which you have multiple buttons. Yeah. They'll call the same function. And then it's just like a switch statement. And then use like a switch statement if you want. You right. can have different functions if you want, but yeah. personally I found it more efficient just to have like one function. I guess it like saves that the mistake of typing the function names wrong in the manifest XML and using, right. relying on the IDs. Right, just like you can just have the same function name. For example, in my in my in my adding for Outlook that I did I had those drop down menu yeah. that allow you to insert like different common emojis like yeah. smiley uh, like sad face and stuff like that and they all did exactly the same thing the only yeah. thing that changed was the actual what, which one the one that was just you, that you were picking right you just do so it was just one function and then just based on the ID of the button what that was selected I decide which emoji to insert so. yeah okay and then because there is a lot of times right now where the task pane is there where it really doesn't need to be there because you click on the task right. and then click another button. And right. So having things where you just click in the ribbon button is just a lot right. easier and streamlines that For process. For example, we have this. Uh, it's actually a very cool adding. It's not the the the, the flow is not as efficient, but this this is really cool adding for. Uh, for people that are writing like technical documents that actually write code inside Word, for example. Yeah. That allows you to format that and give it like styling, coloring, indexing, all that stuff. It's called code format. That's the name of the adding. But right now, in order to use it, you have to launch the ID first, which launches a task pane. Right. And then you have to select the text, and then you click a button in the task pane, and then finally formats the right. code, right? We're actually in the process of reworking the ID, so that now it's just going to be a button on the ribbon that says format as code. Right. And you, and just you select, select the... it, format as code, boom. Yeah, that's neat. It just works. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Right. So it does unlock a lot of the scenarios that I know our partners and, uh, you know, in the, the store space, but... 
I think the other thing to bear in mind is this is really killer from an enterprise development shop as well. Yep. There's a lot of scenarios. I mean, we work with Microsoft Legal a lot, and there's some announcements coming out um, later this week around some of the stuff we're shipping there. Essentially, where add-ins are, the the legal team, the IT team there, mm-hmm. have, have looked at what the legal team are doing, and they've realized that it's very quite repetitive in a lot of places when they're building mm-hmm. these legal documents. And by using an add-in, they've managed to reduce the amount of copying and pasting that's going on between other systems or other documents and having buttons that are currently in task planes to then inject that into the essentially, software. They're essentially automating some of those repetitive tasks. That's right. And making it very easy for users just to get their job done without having to go through all these many steps that they had to go in the past. Yeah, and so by having the adding commands, like living in the ribbon or in yep. that right-click context menu, I think is going to really empower those users to be way more productive as they're putting yep. these documents out. And it's very simple to do. Like The XML is not complicated whatsoever. Right. In actual fact, I know with the Visual Studio preview updates, uh, we have support for the Outlook adding commands yep, already. Yep, yep. And I know they're working on the adding yep. commands supported in um, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. And Excel and PowerPoint as well. Later, uh, next, next, early next year. Yeah, and we're just in the process of shipping an update to the Yeoman generator to support uh-huh. Outlook add-ins, and we'll also get to Excel Word and PowerPoint too there. So um, it's going to be really simple to kind of go, like, I need this extension point in this tab, in this host, right, um, and it will just generate you the XML for you. right. But it isn't that hard to right. copy and paste between right. the samples that we've shipped already in, yeah. in GitHub around the stuff. We try to make it as, as I mean, it, it is a little bit verbose, but we, we, we essentially made the decision between, hey, do we want to make it uh, more readable, more easy to understand, yeah. versus like it might be a, bit, a little bit more verbose. So we, we added on the side of being it more readable. It gives gives it more flexibility right. too, right? More flexibility. It's, it's easy to right. read the XML and understand exactly what it's doing. Right. Um, but I think if you if you were blind, you know, coming in blind without seeing any existing ones, right? It, you really need a reference of an exam, example one to be able to write it. Right. But it's definitely a lot more verbose and easy to read when you kind of right. inspect it for sure. And, and, when, you, and when, you, when you actually see the, we have all of this in the documentation, right? But you, when you see the structure, I mean, I think it's pretty kind of like self-explanatory. Like I said, like, oh, there's an extension point. Here's my command. Here's my action. Here are my yeah. icons, my description, yada, yada, yada. So... Hopefully, hopefully, folks find it intuitive in that in that respect. So, one thing that I, I wanted to mention because I, I mentioned uh, that it has three three different actions, and I just talked about like show uh, task pane, and also talk about function. There is one that's also going to come later. Uh, it's going to be early next year. Probably want to have some sort of preview on January. It is an isn't related to command. It's actually something. It's a new API that we're actually introducing. Yeah. Which are, uh, it's going it's pretty exciting because it's going to allow developers to also now do. Uh, dialogues, uh, non-modal li- dialogues that are actually going to be popping up on so top. So not necessarily a task pane, Correct, which is like modal, a, but more of a front and center, you can't do anything until you interact right. with this modal. It's, it's going to be non-modal, but the way it's, it's always going to be on top of okay. the document. So we don't want to block users ever. So yeah. that's what's going to be non-modal. But it does allow you to have like this square, essentially a like, rectangle shape on top of the document. And you own the contents bar and iPhone. You own the contents. So the task pane. Right. So it's, it's really essentially cool. going to be an API, and you can use that. From your task pane, you're going to be able to trigger a dialogue. Nice. From your content manager, you're going to be able to trigger a dialogue. From, for example, if, if in your function, if, uh, you encounter an error, or you need more input, yeah. right? or you want to show like status, like, hey, it's taking too long, at any point in time, you can call this new API uh, to display a dialogue, and that, and then you can use essentially it's a free for it's a free HTML canvas for you to wow, use. Wow, that's great. 
It's actually going to be pretty cool. So, so what's the best way for people to get started here? Like, um, where does this currently work? Because I know for Outlook, obviously right. that's in the product. Right. It's right now, in product only in Windows Outlook 2016. Yep. And I know that they're going to have that support in the browser and iPad yep. um, shortly as well. Yep. Where does this work for Word, Excel, or PowerPoint right now? So for Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, uh, for Windows Desktop, it works already. So we're already in, in the dev preview. People have, folks, we encourage folks to actually opt in for the, what we call like the uh, first release, uh, in quote unquote, insider's build. Yeah. Anybody can sign up for that. You don't have to be in any special group. You don't There's have not to have an approval, approval process. It's just as nope. soon as you click it, you're All in of there. this is documented in, 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 in MSDN and also in our GitHub documents. So yeah. in, uh, uh, GitHub slash Office Dev. And then if you search for commands, the very first repo that appears has all the samples and all the instructions on how to get that bill. Yeah. Even if folks do not opt for that bill by the end of December, essentially all the updates to Office 16 are um, just going to get started rolling out for right. everybody. So if I'm on like Pro, Pro Plus without first release or if I'm on um, 2016 that I've run for an MSI, right. an update will come out that will include this. Right. For MSI customers, not for MSI customers, for, but it, need, it needs to be for subscriber customers. Right, okay. That's where it's currently currently available. Right. So that's where you're going to be able to get the build. And then um, next year, we, we, we are planning to actually GA this feature. And so, right now in the instructions, there's a reg key you need to run. Right. So Is the, that just for the preview? or once it's, it's, Right now, just for the preview. Yeah. So essentially, the feature is, is, is shipping what we call dark so the feature is there yeah uh but right now because we're targeting developers we wanted to make sure that we didn't break anything else yeah sure while still allowing developers to try the feature so once you get the build that has this feature you run this reg key to that turns it on and then you can start trying and siloing your add-ins and, and seeing them on on the ribbon and, and for, if i put my it pro hat on right now in a scenario where i've already got Boomerang, Evernote add-ins already installed that didn't have add-in commands when I first installed them. Mm-hmm. When they update to an Office client that supports add-in commands, is there anything I need to do to get those to appear? No, or? you would just it be- will be because it's much. just reading the manifest files and looking at the accessibility points. Correct. So in the, when you get the the the, la- the build that actually supports commands. We just understand it's like, oh, because it's the same manifest, right? right? The same manifest, we just now it's like, oh, we now understand commands, uh, we just read them, and then we just project them on the user interface. That's really nice. Yep. And um, in terms of, uh, you've got that video out from the Connect event, yep. which it kind of talks you through and walks you right. through. Right, you can overview the instructions to give you some samples, right? It actually shows you the feature working. So, yep, that video is out there. And then lastly, there was one gotcha I'm going to raise because I think it was an email with our DX org. Um, mm-hmm. We have this DL where they're all kind of going there and talking to partners. And one of the guys was saying that if you use the shared folder approach, they can't be nested. The, the manifest files have to be in the root of that folder. Right. So the trusted admin catalog, when you add that network share and you have to do the backslash backslash approach right, right. to the structure of that folder. Right. Um, you can't have them nested in folders. They have to live... Right, they'll have to be in the root of that, wherever you designate them. And one thing we've learned from that is um, Visual Studio, when it generates them, it just calls them Mm -hmm. manifest.xml. So if an adding uh, Ah, change you've made to Yoma Generator actually is that it calls them whatever the project name is, .xml, Mm -hmm. so that you can just drag them without having to rename the manifest files so that you can have multiple things living in there. Right. And I know I've, I've talked to the Visual Studio team about what they're going to do there with that a- aspect as well, but it's definitely that quick gotcha of, like, why aren't they showing right. up? 
Right. And or or often your drag and drop manifesto XML in and you've overwritten mm. one that already exists there. Right. Like oh, I just, just I just lost one. Yeah. yeah. And then another gotcha that I think that actually you actually found out when you were testing some of the samples is that right now for the initial dev preview, well, uh, while there is support for commands for Outlook. The support for Workshop and PowerPoint is not there yet in Visual Studio. Yeah. So if you just open a project in Visual Studio and you just try to F5 uh, and you're, you're expecting commands to show, right now that's not going to work. Right. So you have to explicitly on the preview, you have to silo the add-in via a, a network file share. Yeah. And that's how we read that and then we project that on the user interface. And in, in the case of that sample project, the manifest that you, you tell people to put in the network share. Right is pointing to web files that are actually hosted in Azure that you're running. I'm right. Guessing. So the samples that we have on GitHub, they're they are already pointing to an instance of the adding array that we're already hosting yeah. on purpose so that you can just see the, the feature working right away. Yeah. And then the expectation is that you're going to use that those samples as a starting point. It's the reference point. The reference point. And then you're going to make small changes and then try them out and then more changes yeah. so that you can create your own. So, your own so all they would do if they wanted to do that is F5 it, grab the manifest that was generated that points to like the local host, wherever that the web project is within that solution's right. running, and then sideload that into that shared folder. And exactly. That, that will allow them to change whatever's in Visual Studio and, and see those changes reflected right. in whatever they're doing in the client. Right, in the ribbon. Yep. Yeah. But that will be fixed with an update of Visual Studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we have full support in Visual Studio, then it's just going to work. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And then I guess the other question that came up around um, that, that sample on that scenario is the store. So I know, for instance, that recently the store validation, we've actually enforced mm -hmm. that there has to be adding commands for Outlook add-ins to go in the store. Yep. And that's really just to encourage partners to think uh, about this ability of having those extension points that are more visible than right. what they were before by going to insert add-ins and mm -hmm. navigating the store and finding it. Um, right. We'll be doing the same thing with Word, PowerPoint, Excel once that's out of preview too. Yeah, so once we once we get to GA, we're definitely going to uh, encourage partners. And we're, I don't think we have settled, settled on that yet, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we do the same thing that I looked at to actually require add-ins to have commands. Yeah. Because when you look at like the before and after, uh, uh, how efficient it is to use an add-in, how discoverable it is once it has commands, it's actually very dramatic, yeah. the improvement. Of yeah, the I, admit, I find myself not ever clicking insert add-in right. anymore in Outlook right. and just so clicking on the ribbon button. It's just, it's just the button is right there. It's, it's efficient to use. So I, I think we're probably going to do um, something very similar. Awesome. Yep. Well, I, I, this was really useful. I think it's great to get this out here. And um, I know there's a lot of people who listen to the podcast that are building Office web add-ins right now, both as a partner and as an enterprise dev. And I'm sure they'll go out there and and start yeah. playing with this stuff. Yeah, man. And I would love for, for you guys to give us feedback right now. As we mentioned, we are on the, the preview for Workcell and PowerPoint. You can give us feedback via the GitHub repo. So if you find any, any issues with the samples, or even if there are no issues with the sample, but if it's related with commands, that's the best just, place to drop it. Just drop it there. Yeah. Uh, even things like enhancements for that particular feature, I'm, I'm, uh, I think we're okay to also uh, filing those, those there. Uh, so that we can uh, make sure that when we GA, that we have uh, what we need to cover your, your scenarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so. And then we have the user voice, which we use for general feedback yeah, anyway. Yeah, general feedback anyway. So and then technical questions, voice. Stack Overflow is the best place for when yeah. people are watching that too. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Excellent. Well, I appreciate your time, mate. Have a good holiday season. I know you're uh, 
heading off home for a few weeks. Yeah, going back to Mexico for a couple of yeah. weeks. Yeah, it's going to get real quiet here in Reven with all that you guys here to <laughs> yeah. be able to answer my questions. Uh, I expect it's, it's not going to be as quiet over email, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully, uh, well, hopefully it does get the, quiet. I was, it was funny, on Friday I had uh, my status set to Ooth in Outlook, uh-huh. and it's amazing how many emails you don't get added to as soon as you do that Ooth status. So um, yeah. people seem to respect it here, which is good. We are very much an email culture. That's we, sure. we, we, seem, we seem to respect it and also like, oh, you know, you're not going to get an answer. Yeah, <laughs> so that's right. You might as well ask I, somebody I always else. leave funny messages and often I'll get comments back. <laughs> people going, that's awesome. I need to stop doing this. I'm like, messages. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, often people just ignore them and send you an email anyway, right? But, right. Yeah, if it's like so, a bulk email, you tend to not be added as soon as that little flag comes up in Outlook. Yeah. Yeah, so I should probably add my youth message do right now. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not real. Yes, so yeah, I should probably do it right now. Pile reducing straight <laughs> away. Exactly. All right, well, thank you, Jeremy. It was Excellent. Awesome. And congrats, this is a really great feature. I know you guys are really excited to see it yeah, out there in the wild. So thank you. Thank you. Happy holidays to you too. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to start building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.